This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, and certainly, I want to hear from you on the uh, word today that the federal government is about to make a formal settlement offer, a formal apology to Omar Khadr. We have been talking about Omar Khadr now for what, 15 years, almost 15 years? And he was just 15 at the time. You know what's so interesting about this to me? Those American soldiers who actually had saved Omar Khadr's life, if they had simply let him die, I don't think we'd even be talking about this today. But that decision was made to save his life. He was taken to Bagram Air Base, later to, of course, Guantanamo Bay. And here we are now. Uh, People are not happy about this. And if Justin Trudeau is going to go ahead and compensate him that much, I think he's really going to have to explain to Canadians why they're doing this. And at this point, we don't even have confirmation from the federal government, let alone an explanation. Uh, But the details are out there, and and Ottawa's got to get ahead of this. Why are we doing this? Are we doing this because we feel inevitably we're going to lose a lawsuit and end up having to pay more? Are we cutting a deal, realizing that we're holding a bad set of cards in our hands? Or is this what we feel Omar Khadr deserves? Right? Why is the government making this decision? I think we deserve an explanation. That is a, a big amount of money. It's a little bit more than what Mayor Arar got. Didn't he get around $10 million? And it's, you know, there's some parallels there. Obviously, it was the Americans who sent Mayor Arar to Syria. It was the Syrians who tortured him. So why did Canada give him that much money? Right? That finding that maybe we could have done more. Or maybe we were complicit somehow in him being sent to Syria. Uh, same thing with uh, Omar Khadr. He was fighting the Americans in Afghanistan. The Americans took him to Guantanamo Bay. Where does Canada fit in? Well, of course, there have been numerous court decisions now finding that Canada violated the rights of Omar Khadr. And maybe this is inevitable. Right? I, I think sooner or later, and people have been saying this for years, sooner or later, the government's going to have to write a check to Omar Khadr, whether it's a conservative government, liberal government, doesn't matter. It was inevitable. But that's a pretty big check, maybe a lot bigger than any of us thought. And I'm kind of torn on this. I know there are two very definite camps on this. One is that uh, Omar Khadr is a complete and total victim. There are those who really have a deep admiration for him. It seems, and on the other side, there were those who believe he's an evil murderer, jihadi terrorist. And I think the truth is somewhere in between. What stands out to me about Omar Carter, though, is the fact that he was 15 at the time. Clearly not an adult, clearly a, a child soldier by any rational, reasonable definition. Right? In this country, the age of sexual consent is 16. If you are 15, therefore, you are viewed as a child. If an adult in Canada has sex with a 15-year-old, that's child abuse. That's a crime. Child's not old enough to to give consent. You're taking advantage of that child. If an adult brainwashes a 15-year-old into doing what Omar Khadr did, is it different? How responsible is Omar Khadr for what he did? Uh, The Supreme Court, of course, ruled very quickly that Omar Khadr was indeed uh, a youth, certainly not an adult. And I suppose in that sense, he has um, served his sentence. He's done. The Americans let him go. We let him go. Look, if the Americans really believe that Omar Khadr was a dangerous jihadist, why on earth would they hand him over to us? 
They did. They were more than happy to wash their hands of this guy. So then he became our problem. So what to do with Omar Cotter? I think at this point now that Omar Cotter has moved on, he served his time, he's trying to turn his life around. I think most people have moved on to in that sense. Right, no point in, in fighting it out in court to try to put him back in prison. He's a Canadian. He's free. That's not going to change. We just hope that he can turn his life around and hope for the best. Probably most Canadians are okay with that. I suspect, though, the idea of giving him $10 million is going to be another story. And I think there's a big, big concern as to whether the rest of his family is going to see any of that money. I don't know that I necessarily view Omar Khadr as a threat to Canadian security. Uh, but certainly there are those in his family that I do have big concerns about. So that does trouble me. This is what the Supreme Court of Canada said in 2010 about Omar Khadr's situation and where there's some Canadian culpability. And this is the reality of what the government of the day is dealing with. Right? The liberals were in power when Omar Khadr was first captured and transferred to Guantanamo Bay. Then, of course, the conservatives were in power. So Justin Trudeau did inherit all of this. Right, that much is true. And he inherited the reality of the Supreme Court decision in 2010 that found that Canada actively participated in a process contrary to its international human rights obligations and contributed to Cotter's ongoing detention so as to deprive him of his right to liberty and security of the person, guaranteed by Section 7 of the Charter, not in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. Through the process to which Cotter is subject, uh, is changed. This claim is based upon the same underlying series of events considered in the 2008 Supreme Court decision. As held in that case, the Charter applies to the participation of Canadian officials in a regime later found to be in violation of fundamental rights protected by international law. While the U.S. is the primary source of the de- uh, deprivation, it is reasonable to infer from the uncontradicted evidence before the court that the statements taken by Canadian officials are contributing to Cotter's continued detention. The deprivation of Cotter's right to liberty and security of the person is not in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. The interrogation of a youth detained without access to counsel to elicit statements about serious criminal charges while knowing the youth had been subjected to sleep deprivation and while knowing that the fruits of the interrogation would be shared with the prosecutors offends the most basic Canadian standards about the treatment of detained youth suspects. Cotter is entitled to remedy under Section 24.1 of the Charter. The remedy sought by Cotter in order that Canada request his uh, repatriation is sufficiently connected to the Charter breach that occurred in 2003 and 2004. While the government must have flexibility in deciding how its duties under the royal prerogative over foreign relations are discharged, the executive is not exempt from constitutional scrutiny. The appropriate remedy in this case is to declare that Omar Khadr's charter rights were violated, leaving it to the government to decide how best to respond in light of current information. So that was in 2010. Maybe since then the writing has been on the wall that uh, we're going to be on the hook for something here. But $10 million? That's a lot of money. 403-974-8255. We are back with more right after this. All right, that number here, 403-974-TALK, 974-8255. So I think we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about Omar Cotter. The government has let it slip. I don't think this is a coincidence. I think the government uh, intentionally let this slip, that this compensation is coming without 
formally confirming it. So again, we played for you what the prime minister said uh, today in Ireland, which is not much. There is a, a judicial process underway that has been underway for a number of years now. Uh, and we are anticipating, like I think a number of people are, that that uh, judicial process is coming to its conclusion. Okay, so not confirming or denying it, but uh, I, I would think that if this were not true, if the government intended on continuing to fight this in court, the prime minister would have said something along those lines. So it seems to me, as he says, that it's coming to its conclusion, suggests that something is indeed imminent. But in terms of the details of what that might entail, we don't know. Uh, a lot of text coming in on this. This text here says, well, that's why the Americans handed him over. They were more than happy to wash their hands of the problem. There was Omar Khadr. So has Cotter denounced his actions? Has he forsaken Islamic fundamentalism? And that's a fair question to ask. Right? Certainly, the interviews I've seen, things he said, have suggested that he's on a different track. He's not the person he once was. But I think a very clear and forthright denunciation of that kind of ideology, and even for other members of his family, will probably go a long way to making Canadians feel a little more comfortable with this whole situation. I don't think that's an unfair question to ask. He was brainwashed into believing this. And okay, fine, he was 15. But now he's, he's an adult. Now hopefully then he can look back and see why that was wrong, why that was evil. And so, yeah, I, I think to denounce that, to denounce what his father did, to denounce what his father believed in, very publicly would go a long way. Now, this text here says, Rob, if I were the widow of the person who was killed, I would be suing him for murdering his, her husband. Well, in fact, that's exactly what happened. There was a lawsuit filed. There was uh, a, an award granted. Mind you, it, it seemed to hold the father more accountable for this. But it was um, Sergeant Spears' widow, Tabitha, and also Sergeant Lane Morris, who lost an eye when that grenade was, uh, was thrown. So they were awarded $102.6 million in damages, $94 million to Spear, $8 million to Morris. What's interesting, though, is that the U.S. government has seized a number of uh, Connor's father's assets. And despite the ruling, they have refused to release any of that. I suspect, though, if all of a sudden Omar Connor has $10 million in the bank, uh, that those folks uh, are going to come forward and say, you know what, we've got some claim on that. So that may, in fact, happen. Let's go to the phones here sometime for your calls. Al, welcome to the show. Oh, hi, how are you? Real good, thanks. Um, I've just got one quick comment. Um, so if the Liberals pay off uh, uh, Cotter here, and he's a terrorist, does that make the Liberals funding terrorists and also make them a terrorist organization under their own uh, definition of it? So I, that's where I'll put them. Thank okay. you. All right, I'll appreciate the phone call. Uh, I don't think so. I guess the courts have certainly not held that he's a terrorist. Otherwise, why would he be walking around free? Does the government consider him to be a terrorist? Do Canadians consider him to be a terrorist? The one here says, uh, good afternoon, Rob. With respect to uh, Omar Khadr, I understand the need to maintain the fundamental rights of every Canadian under the law. That's a very important precedent. I may agree with the need for some compensation, but the sheer size of the settlement is just too large a pill to swallow. Over $10 million? He couldn't have received more money if he'd deducted several people and held them hostage. With that, I can't help but feel the settlement is akin to a negotiation with a clear terrorist. $10 million seems like a lot of money. If the sum total of the Canadian government's wrongdoing here were these interviews, 
$10 million for those interviews seems like a lot of money. It's interesting that four years ago, McLean's Magazine, Michael Friscalanti, wrote a piece about how inevitably we are going to end up paying this guy. And he writes, at the heart of this looming litigation, which alleges numerous charter breaches at the hands of Canadian officials, who flew to Cuba to grill the Toronto board team in the early days of his detention. But at first glance, that statement would appear destined to fail. Carter was in American custody, not Canadian. But two Supreme Court decisions later, the suit suddenly seems unbeatable. Twice already, the country's highest court has scolded Ottawa for stomping on Connor's constitutional rights. From a strictly legal standpoint, it's hard to imagine a scenario that doesn't end with Cotter cashing a check. Even Daniel Livermore, retired foreign affairs official, was director general of the Department's Security and Intelligence branch when Cotter was captured, says Ottawa didn't do enough to protect and support Omar Cotter. This guy says, quote, if he gets money, it doesn't bother me at all. Look at what the kid has gone through and look at what he's continuing to go through. There was a problem with the Canadian response, and I acknowledged this as a Canadian official. Probably was inevitable. But again, $10 million. That's a whopping sum. No doubt about it. Let's see what uh, David has to say. David, good afternoon. Yeah, David, you there? Oh, sorry, yes. Yeah, go ahead. Well, to add on to what you've been saying there, you be, you and others have been re, sorry, remarking that this is inevitable, that this is going to happen, that sooner or later we're going to pay them. Well, if that's the case, then why didn't somebody way back when say, hey, you know what? We're screwing the pooch here. we got to get out of this mess and fix it now. Yeah, well, we could have. I, I think certainly this was something inherited by the Harper government, and uh, they fought a lot of this in court. You know, like right? to make light of it a little bit, Ferris Bueller's teachers screwed up, right? You take it forward into something a little bit deeper. Somebody, someone way back should have realized, I'm really making a mess here. Somebody's going to end up paying for this. we got to backstep as soon as possible. Like, who's been fired? Who's been disciplined? Who's been taken out of the system? Yeah, I don't know that anybody has, right? I, I think the, the impulse at the time, too, was not to look at Omar Cotter as someone who was in need of protection. I think the... the atmosphere at the time was around what what does he know what can we learn from him i I think at some level there was some altruistic intent that we got to protect canadians this was not long after 9-11 and that was the responsibility CSIS was tasked with as as was the case with american officials was that we got swallowed up by the american revenge opinion and and desire and anybody that looked like they could have been or should have been persecuted for anything or prosecuted for anything was just strung out to dry and we did not. I mean, this kid was a Canadian citizen. Whether or not he did the most evil thing in the world, he's a, a punk, a 15-year-old kid who should have been brought home and sorted out here. Right. Well, you know, and again, it wasn't our decision. The Americans had him. There was only so much we could do. But I think that's a, that's a fair point, that we should have insisted that, look, he's our problem. He's a Canadian. We'll deal with him. Now, it has been pointed out that that's what we asked at the time. When he was being held at Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan, from what's been reported, the Canadian officials uh, pleaded with the Americans not to send him to Guantanamo Bay. And that seems like an important point to, to note here. What more could we have done at that point? The Americans disregarded those, those concerns, and they sent him to Guantanamo anyway. And obviously, in the United States, there were a number of different court decisions regarding the process at Guantanamo Bay. So there were several attempts to bring charges against Omar Khadr only for the uh, authorities to have to go back to the drawing board 
uh, after the U.S. courts said, well, you can't do it this way, you can't do it that way, etc. So certainly the system that existed at Guantanamo Bay in 2003 and 2004 changed dramatically in the next few years. But I think the point is, what could we have done? What more could we have done? I mean, we could have declined the opportunity to interview him, which seems to be at the heart of the, the charter breach here. Would that have sufficed? Or did we need to do more? Did we need to do more to insist that he be handed over to us? Let's see what uh, Gabrielle has to say. Gabrielle, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Good. Um, yeah, I, I got this email last night regarding this $10 million settlement with for Omar Cotter, and I was so infuriated, I had a hard time sleeping, because this young man, like it or not, he committed this crime. He murdered an American soldier, and he knew what he was doing. He was under the tutelage of his father. The whole family, you know, in Toronto, they even admitted that they have extreme, extreme Islamic views. Um Apologizing to him is one thing for for what he went through at Guantanamo Bay, but handing over a settlement of ten million dollars, I think, to me, is a slap into in the face to all our veterans who have been literally killing themselves and their families because they can't get mental health um, professionals to help them with their PTSD after what they went through being in Afghanistan and Iraq and all these horrible places where these terrible things happen. So instead of this $10 million that Trudeau can all of a sudden pull out of thin air and hand it over to somebody who, you know, may or may not still have ties with Al-Qaeda, uh, I think it should go to, uh, that kind of money should go to um, increasing the uh, mental health care professionals for our veterans. I mean, you hear it all the time about, you know, these these poor soldiers who have come home and they can't get the help they need. So what do they do? They load their rifle, they blow their families apart, and they blow themselves away. But they're going to give $10 million to Omar Cotter. No, that just, it infuriates me. All right. Gabrielle, I suspect you're not alone, but it's an interesting point because I think the optics of that is she says, you look at what some former soldiers are dealing with, or even current soldiers. Uh, where's the support for them? Because, sure, I mean, it, it was Americans that Omar Khadr was engaged with in that uh, battle in Afghanistan could have just as easily been Canadians. Would that have been a Canadian soldier killed? Would that have been a Canadian soldier who lost an eye? Would we be looking at this differently? All right, 403-974-TALK is the number here, 974-8255. We can keep this conversation going uh, after the 1 o'clock news. We've got a lot more to get to uh, on the program this afternoon. However, before we go any further, right now, though, it is time for Great Ideas. It's brought to you by Park2Go Value Valet. No need to search for an empty parking spot with door-to-door drop-and-go valet service. Reserve and save at park2go.ca. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you in this Tuesday afternoon, this 4th of July, 403-974-8255 is our number, 974-TALK. I think the fact that maybe news of this uh, Omar Khadr settlement is emerging on the 4th of July of all days uh, maybe seems designed to fly under the radar south of the border, but I think to some also seems like a bit of a slap in the face to our American friends. But what are they going to make of this? Now, is Omar Khadr... Planning and pursuing any kind of uh, litigation against the U.S. government? What about those in the U.S. who pursued litigation against him? The fact that he may soon have $10 million in the bank, I think, is going to be of interest to them. And are they going to come after that? So what do we make of this? 
Want to get some more of your calls, your text in here. Uh, the other thing, though, that uh, we're all mad at uh, Justin Trudeau about, which, of course, uh, happened on the weekend in his Canada Day speech. Justin Trudeau is not a great speaker the best of times. Decided to walk the tightrope and dive right in and make a point of mentioning every single province. And, of course, he forgot one. It just so happened to be this province. A lot of anger on social media over the weekend. And I was seeing it uh, through, certainly through emails and tweets that I was getting over the weekend. Uh, people took it as, as almost like a deliberate snub. Or just even suggest that we're not top of mind when it comes to Justin Trudeau. Not sure what to make of it. So let me play for you the uh, voice of at least one Albertan who feels that, um, you know, we need to get over this. It was an understandable mistake and uh, time to move on. That's what uh, Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi was saying. Really? Going away. It's really... What do you think? I'm not a particularly delicate human being. Um, and certainly there are things with the federal government that I can disagree with them on policy, and I can heartily argue with them about what would be better for Alberta. Um, making a flub in a speech? Come on. Are we that are we that fragile as Albertans that we really think this is part of a vast conspiracy theory against the province? Um, or, or are we so sensitive that we are crying that we weren't listed next to Yukon? This is just silly. Um, and frankly, those who are trying to make political hay out of it, there are big issues we should be working on in this province, and I would much rather they focus on that uh, than on a perceived gaffe. I make mistakes all the time. I screw up speeches all the time. And usually people are kind enough to forgive and focus on the content of what I'm doing. So is the outrage full and they're just using cudgels and You know, let's talk about real issues. Let's get transit funded. Let's get wastewater and water services across the whole country done properly. Let's build the infrastructure we need. Let's make sure that we have access to Canadian energy to world markets. And let's not worry about perceived insults. Well, there you go. So uh, Nancy says uh, we need to talk about real issues. Well, I guess we got a big one to talk about here today now, whether Omar Khadr is deserving of $10 million courtesy of the Canadian taxpayer. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, this is Dan. Dan, good afternoon. Rob, how are we doing? Real good. Real good, Dan. Uh, thanks. Um, my comment would be if we have to pay Omar Khadr $10 million for not preventing the U.S. from torturing him, can we not turn around and sue the U.S. for the money? Like, hey, you you tortured this guy, and now we got to pay him, so you guys should pay us kind of thing? <laughs> well, I think the problem was that we knew at the time, in, in, the, in the three weeks leading up to the interviews with CSIS officials, uh, the Americans were, were keeping him awake for long hours to try to loosen him up, and, and we knew that. And yet we came and interviewed him anyway. So the problem for us to turn around and say, hey, you guys shouldn't have done that is that we knew it at the time. And we we hoped that we would learn something as a result of them doing that. So uh, I don't know that we'd have much of a leg to stand on, given that we kind of went along with it in that sense. Uh, yeah, I guess. It just seems, you know, if they're up to torturing people, maybe they should stop <laughs> torturing people. I don't know. Well, I, I think a lot of lessons have been learned from those days. Let's put it that so way. We have to pay for it now. It just doesn't. And, and meanwhile, they're probably still doing it to more people who could potentially sue Canada. I don't, you know, I mean, it seems messed up. Well, yeah, Dan, I get where you're coming from. 
again, it's it's not automatic that because the U.S. was perceived to have been torturing a Canadian that the Canadian government has to compensate that person. Uh, it's more a question of what is Canada's culpability in that person's situation. Uh, and I guess we can debate as to what constitutes torture and what Omar Khadr actually suffered from. In one of the interviews, he was asked about that, and he said that listening to people screaming was what he meant, what he said that he'd been tortured. There was the sleep deprivation, which I, I think certainly would be recognized by many as, as a form of torture. Uh, apparently, there was one incident where he uh, urinated on himself and was used basically like a, a human mop to, to clean it up by some of the guards at Guantanamo. I saw that doesn't sound pleasant. So part of it was what he went through. Part of it was the legality of the, the whole situation under which he was being detained and the circumstances under which CSIS officials went down to interrogate him. That's kind of the sum of it. Now, had things been different, if the Canadian government had been insisting all along that we need uh, consular access for this guy, you guys need to, to hand him over at the soonest opportunity, things might have been different. And I think we know for a fact that things might have been different had those American soldiers that worked to save Omar's life in 2002, had they um, been unable to, or had they simply let him die. I don't think any of this would be uh, an issue. We wouldn't be talking about this at all. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. This is Jeremy. Jeremy, good afternoon. Well, this Omar Cotter thing basically summarizes uh, our Justice Trudeau government and what a joke it is, because as far as I'm concerned, these terrorists, lose all their rights when they kill innocent people. They deserve to be sleep, the sleep deprivation. They deserve any crap they get. Because this, I mean, paying a guy $10 million for being a terrorist and killing an American Marine, like, really? Well, would you call this terrorism? I, I'd be pretty close to calling it terrorism, yeah. Let's just, let's, let's just remember. I, I think he was somebody. an enemy combatant. I don't know that I would call that uh, terrorism. I mean, we were fighting well, against these Taliban forces in Afghanistan. But, but I, I mean, that, that's on a battlefield, though, isn't it? I could kind of see that, but why are we paying this guy $10 million? He was an enemy. He was killing people. He was killing American people, trying to kill American people. Why are we paying this clown? And let me look at his family. His family are all extremists. Well, many of them are. What's interesting is that under his bail conditions, he was prohibited from having any contact with his family for that reason. Uh, You know, I just, you know, Rob, I just, it's starting to disgust me. I'm going to say one real quick thing about Trudeau in Alberta. I think that was... I lived in Alberta when his dad was in power, so I remember what his dad did to this province. And I think I think any Albertan that's not offended by this is probably from out east. Just saying. All right, Jeremy, appreciate the phone call. Let's uh, get Kevin in here. Kevin, go ahead. Hi, Rob. I was just wanted to clarify before I, you know, go off half talk. Like, did you say that the Canadians, the Canadian government officials, went to the Americans and said, "Give us this kid," and they said no? No, I don't think that happened at any point, as far as I'm aware. I think oh. when, when he was initially being held at uh, Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan, uh, yeah. Canadians asked that he not be sent to Guantanamo Bay. They didn't ask right. that he be handed over. And the Americans said, no, they, thank you. We're going to send him to Bagram, and then we're going to send him to Guantanamo anyways, even though we said, please don't. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So then I, I don't understand how we're culpable just from a matter of law. Like you said, don't do it. They were, he was hit, their prisoner. They incarcerated him. But why are we on the hook is my question. 
Well, I think it comes down to what happened in 2004 when the Americans said, we'll make him available for, for interviews. Uh, that CSIS went down to interview him, not for the purpose of his well-being or to, to help his cause. They went down to interview him with the, the point of trying to gain intelligence from him so that, that we kind of latched on to what the Americans were doing. We, we knew that he had been uh, subjected to sleep deprivation ahead of those interviews. Uh, yeah. They went and did it anyway with the attempt of trying to glean evidence from him and, and knowing as well full well that that was going to be shared with the Americans too. So um, yeah. well, he didn't have any access to, to Canadian... What, to what's that? Uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I think, you know, on top of that, that I, I think he thought that these Canadians were coming to help him. They didn't offer him any assistance, didn't offer him uh, access to, to any kind of uh, legal help. Uh, they just wanted to know what he might know. So after 04, when they went down to talk to him, was he still being mistreated? Well, if we're counting the sleep deprivation as, as the mistreatment or part of the mistreatment, that was directly ahead of and for the, the purpose of the Canadian interrogation. The Americans believe yep. that this will help make it more amenable to, to speaking with, with Canadian authorities. And, and apparently we knew that. And we went ahead right. anyway. So we knew that, but we couldn't tell them to stop. But we're still culpable? Like, I don't get it. Well, I just think and that I we think went along what, with the process, and we yeah. interviewed him, and we didn't do a thing to help him. Rather, we, we attempted to gain intelligence from him. Yeah, right. but, but I mean, like, could we have actually helped him? Like, the Americans said, no, you can't have him, until they were done bleeding him out. You know, pun, no pun intended. And then they said, yeah, now you can have him. Am I, am I, did I get that right? Well, they didn't hand it back over. I forget what, when it was, 2011, 2012, somewhere around yeah. there. When yeah. they finally decided, look, we, we don't want him anymore, basically, is what they decided. And uh, it was about figuring out how we could get him back home. So that was, you know, almost 10 years after the fact. Yeah. So, like, I, I kind of agree with the guy before, like, his name was Jeremy, who said, like, I feel like the Americans should pay him. They mistreated him. Well, again, and here's what the Supreme Court said. They said the interrogation of a youth detained without access to counsel to elicit statements yeah. about serious criminal charges while knowing that the youth had been subjected to sleep deprivation and while knowing that the fruits of the interrogation would be shared with the Americans offends the most basic Canadian standards about the treatment of detained youth suspects. So that's yeah. what the Supreme Court's zeroing in on there. Yeah, and I guess my, my opinion is like if that was happening to him when he was in Canadian custody and the Canadians were mistreating him, then yeah, then, then we need to write this guy a check and apologize to him because we're awful human beings, just like the terrorists. Right, but it's well, like you it know. It happened in American yeah. custody, right? Yeah. No, it did, right? And that's an important point here. It seems to zero down to this, and this, or, there were two interviews, like two series of interviews, and that's what it boils down to. If we had simply said at the time, look, uh, you know, we, we don't want any part of this, we're not going to come down and interrogate him, maybe we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it either. Right? Maybe it would be more about what the Americans did to this guy, not necessarily where there's any Canadian culpability, because you're right, we didn't capture him, we didn't send him to Guantanamo Bay, we weren't, we weren't party to any of that. I think at that yeah. point, though, when we sent the CSIS guys down there to say, let's get some, some intelligence out of him, I think that's kind of where things got screwed up. Yeah. Well, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, that money definitely would be better spent. Like, uh, I'm, a, I'm in a family of veterans, and like that lady who said before, like, give the money for mental health support like i agree with that I, I don't agree with paying enemy combatants that were mistreated after they killed people i don't i don't think they should get paid like no, I, well, I don't, and I don't think like a lot of canadians like this floodgate, right like yeah. i was a, i was an enemy combatant in afghanistan too and i wasn't treated nicely so i'm going to sue the government who didn't treat me nicely 
like I just feel like it sets a pretty awful slippery slope kind of a precedent, really. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Kevin. Appreciate the phone call. 974-TALK, 974-8255. Maybe the, the Trudeau government would be better off just saying, you know, we don't believe that he's deserving of millions of dollars, and, and so we'll make that argument at court. It would come across differently, I think, to the Canadian public if the courts were ordering the government to compensate him, and they did so reluctantly. Because the way it comes across right now is that it makes it appear as though Justin Trudeau just kind of woke up one day and said, would it be nice to give this guy $10 million? Seems like a nice kid. Let's, let's um, make him rich. Right? That's how it's going to come across to people. And so even though I think most Canadians have kind of moved on, they don't mind the fact that he's trying to turn his life around, he's out of prison, he's going to school, um, trying to get a career, trying to move on with his life. I think people have come to grips with that. But this reopens that wound. Because the family's notorious. And what happened, happened. Right? There's no one doing that either. Get on number here, 974-TALK, 974-8255. We're back after this. 19 minutes after one, Rob Breckenridge with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, your calls, your texts. Let's get back to the phones. Uh, this is Peter. Peter, go ahead. Yes, my thoughts are, uh, you know, it's no point in putting America under the bus at this point because uh, Canada and America were... Uh, were partners or were allies in the fight against terrorism. Yep. And uh, and it was really a shame that uh, that uh, Cotter had assholes for uh, parents. I'm sorry for the language, but but uh, you know it's 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 not us as Canadians. It's not our fault and responsibility. The man killed a U.S. Marine. Period. And that's that's forgotten in this in this. In this uh, environment where where we want to sue and lawyers benefit from this, you know, and I I hope the family down in the states that lost their loved one sue him for every penny he gets. Well, they already did. I, I don't know what force that that, that lawsuit would have here, and I suspect they may try to come across the border and say, "Look, we've got this this judgment uh, that that holds the family responsible," and and I suspect they they probably will. Come for that I ten million dollars. I, I hope the Americans spend a billion dollars to fight this. Well, we'll see. Yeah, I suspect they may, Peter. You're right. It was uh, a Utah court uh, eleven years ago, as a matter of fact, awarded one hundred and two million dollars uh, to Spears' widow and uh, Sergeant Lane Morris, who lost an eye in that firefight. Now, obviously, at the time, Omar Cotter didn't really have anything. His father's dead. The U.S. government is holding uh, some of his assets. I suspect maybe if we were concerned about this family getting some compensation, step number one might be for the U.S. government to take Ahmed Cotter's assets that they're, they've frozen and hand them over to the Spear and Morris families. That hasn't happened. But $10 million going to Omar Cotter, I suspect they're going to have something to say about it. Right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Ian, go ahead. Oh, uh, good afternoon, Rob. Yeah, I've definitely got something to say about it. Give me one split second to turn my radio down. You bet. Uh, well, this incenses me. Uh, what next? You know, what Omar Charter did in regards to who influenced him way back when he was a, a juvenile, it was an act of war. And why should we, as a Canadian taxpayer, keep paying for whims of our legal system, of our politicians, of our feel good people, such and such a data for something like this, when it all boils down to coming out of uh, general revenue that us taxpayers pay into 
And down the line, it's going to start costing us more for our cost of living, more of this, more of that, more of the other. Our politicians keep coming up with these excuses. They're thinking that they are the ones that are paying for whatever whims they want to pay for. It all comes out of our pockets, and we're struggling enough as it is to try and live there right across the board in this great nation of ours. What do you think? Well, I guess it depends on whether this would have cost us more uh, if this this lawsuit goes ahead. Is this the government cutting its losses now, or is this the government deciding that they want to give Omar Khadr the money? I think if people look at it that way, that's how it's going to come across. But if we're cutting our losses in in the inevitability that we lose even more in a judgment, maybe maybe that's smarter. But, Rob, it is not the government cutting its losses. The government is supposed to represent us, we, the people. It's not its losses, it's our losses. And it's one thing after another that really doesn't have anything to do with the fabric of us Canadian citizens here, no matter whether we are born here, whether we've immigrated here, whether we are the offspring of immigrants. Once we get here, we all have a responsibility to this country. And we have a responsibility to do to live by the laws of this country. We have a responsibility to be taxpayers and what have you. And with that, we should have a voice as to where our efforts go to. And something like this that did not originate in this country we should not be paying for a period right across the board. That well, I, look, is me, a born raised hang on, hang on a second. Look, for uh, one thing, I think it's been established here. I'm going to leave this country. Well, okay. That, that, that seems harsh, but Ian, okay. I appreciate the phone call. Here's the thing. Look, I think we've established that obviously Canada did not torture Omar Khadr. Canada did not hold him at Guantanamo Bay or any of that. I think we've established that. I mean, the point about the fact that Canadians have to foot the bill when governments make mistakes, that's a sad reality. Uh, We've seen numerous cases where governments have been found to have uh, made mistakes, been negligent, have had to apologize and compensate people. And it's unfortunate. We as taxpayers didn't screw up. We as taxpayers didn't make that decision. Why should these elected politicians who make dumb decisions have to cost us taxpayers? That's how it goes. Look, if Omar Khadr doesn't have a case against the Canadian government, then there's no reason to pay him a cent. If the federal government thinks that it can prevail in court, say it's too bad what happened to Omar, but it's not our problem, and it's not taxpayers' problems, then they should be fighting this in court. But I think they realize uh, that they're holding a bad hand here. Would Omar Khadr have really got more than $10 million uh, from a court in, in a judgment? I don't know. I don't know. And I think it's incumbent on the prime minister at this point not to dance around it like he did today when asked about it, but to come right out and say, what's going on here? Are we giving up this fight? Why are we giving up this fight? Why do we believe that uh, he's entitled to $10 million? Why aren't we taking this to its logical conclusion and letting a judge rule as to how culpable we are and what that translates into in terms of a dollar figure? Anyway, back to the phones. Uh, Steve, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Rob. Um, I'd just like to talk about the bigger picture. I think if the world's biggest superpower ever, the U.S., bombed the heck out of Canada, how many 15-year-old Canadian boys would pick up a gun and fight? And I think this is what this young man has been done. Clearly, the, the money is ridiculous. We, we shouldn't be giving him any money. But these are situations that have been created by the warmongering powers of the U.S. and, and the banksters that have created this situation. Linking it to Iraq, why the heck did we go into Iraq? We've just stirred a hornet's nest in the Muslim world, and this is like rearranging the the, the chairs on the Titanic. The Titanic is the big picture here, 
What, what does this have to do with, uh, with Iraq? This happened in Afghanistan, and this happened before the U.S. went into Iraq. I don't know yeah, why, why you're bringing that up. It's, it's all a Muslim thing. It's make, creating enemies. It's why the U.S. are hated around the world, because it's been created, this animosity. I talked to lots of Muslims uh, who used to live in their home countries, and they got along well with Jews and Christians, not a problem. But the last 30, 40 years... The, the, the bully that is the U.S., and I love the U.S., but the, oh, the, bullying, the bullying warmongering has created this whole situation. And this young guy has picked up a, a weapon because his country was being bombed. His country? Uh, he's, not, he's, yeah, not, uh, he's not from Afghanistan. He has, there's no connection to Afghanistan. How on earth, on what planet is, is it his country? Yeah, but you, no, no, wait you, a second. Well, you, you made the point, Steve. How is Afghanistan Omar Khadr's country? Well, it's, it's, it's his part of his culture, it's his oh, heritage, please. and he sees the... No, really. If it's really, his country, he, then, he, then he, we he, should send him there. Then he's not our problem. Either he's a Canadian or he's not, but he certainly has no connection to Afghanistan. That's a ridiculous if point. You had, if you had a, a 15-year-old Canadian boy living in Europe and, and Canada was bombed the heck out of... I think that 15-year-old boy would want to come over and fight. Yeah, I don't think so, Steve, but I appreciate the phone call. Right, 9-11 happened. We know who executed that. We know the father, Ahmed Khadr's connection to bin Laden and al-Qaeda. We know that they were caught up in that ideology, that they were fighting in Afghanistan, not because of Iraq or something the U.S. had done 30 years ago. Uh, They were fighting on behalf of al-Qaeda and the Taliban, and that's what Omar Khadr was brainwashed into. He's a Canadian citizen, but he's certainly not from Afghanistan. That's certainly not his country. So that's a pretty weak argument that he was defending himself because we invaded his country. Again, if it's his country, then what what are we talking about here? We can put him on the next plane to, to Afghanistan and they can have him back. But of course, it's not his country. That's the whole point. Anyway, let's get Logan in here. Logan, good afternoon. Yeah, I'd like to make the point that it wasn't technically his country, but his dad did indeed move him to the Middle East when he was a young boy, told him that all of this stuff was indeed what he needed to do, was brainwashed into believing that all of that all these terrorist acts were indeed justified and right as a child, and then brought into Afghanistan by his parents, <laughs> and then he did what he did. So... Was it his country? Wasn't it his country? I think it's more about what his parents told him it was than anything else. Yeah, well said. Logan, appreciate the phone call. You got the last word on that. We got to take a break here. We got a lot more still to come this afternoon. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.